Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael, and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today, we're going to be discussing three topics. First of all, we'll discuss the third anniversary of the NSARS protest, or what is commonly called the Lekki Massacre. Secondly, we'll discuss the lawsuit filed by Bolatinibu in the U.S., apparently trying to stop the FBI from publishing his all the documents they have with regards to his activities in the U.S. And thirdly, we'll discuss the news that the Lagos State government appears to have demolished properties in an estate in the Lekki area. So to the first topic, Phoenix, it's the third anniversary of the Lekki massacres. Looking back and reflecting on the, the incident, do you think, firstly, Nigeria has learned any lessons from, from that uh, tragedy? Hi, Michael, and uh, hello, listeners. Uh, on this podcast, it's always been important for us um, to keep the events of 20th of October 2020, uh, you know, top of mind. Um, we continue to mourn the dead and and to honor their memory, of course, we'll continue to remember them at each anniversary. Um, to your question, Michael, has Nigeria learned lessons? No, it's not possible for you to learn lessons when justice has not been served. Um, when there continues to be denial of, of what happens, happened and nobody has been brought to book um so there's no there's no lesson that can be learned so for me until this country does right by the people and not just to honor their memory by bringing the people who were responsible to book but also if we're going to truly preserve our democracy if we truly believe that we want a democratic nation where rule of law is sacrosanct where um our constitution is not debased, is not defiled, then that constitution that protects the right to life, right to free assembly, right to protest, and all of those kinds of things, which was trampled upon by those who were sworn to protect the to, to protect the constitution and to protect citizens, those who gave the orders, those who took those orders and opened fire on their fellow citizens and mowed down, you know, unarmed Nigerians until all of that is addressed. I mean, we're, we're not going to move past this issue and there, there are no lessons that have been learned. Instead, the wrong message is being passed to a generation of Nigerians that impunity um, pays because we have seen those who were central actors in this whole thing continue on and even seem to be rewarded. We see the governor of Lagos State, um, um, Babajide Sonwolu, who was right bang in the center of all this drama, return to office. We've seen Tinubu, who was questioning why people were there, you know, elevated to the position of president. And we've seen Buhari able to complete his term of office, you know, ride off into the sunset, enjoy his retirement. 
we've seen the likes of Buratai rewarded with ambassadorships. So <laughs> what what lessons are, are, are we learning? Or maybe we're learning the wrong lessons, but um, no, Nigeria has not has not made any attempt to, to move forward in the right way from this. Well, thank you, Phoenix. And to the second issue, as you said, at the time, President Bola uh, Ahmed Tinubu was one of the people who questioned the authenticity of the reports that people had been killed. He also queried the protests, but he appears to have been, or he seems to have been rewarded with the presidency. Is is that what you expected? Did, did you not think Nigerians in their anger would have rejected the APC at the polls, but at the state and the federal level? Michael, can you repeat the question, please? Oh, sorry, I said you mentioned the fact that President Tinubu was one of the people who questioned the truth about whether or not people were killed. Yes, he even that's right. basically antagonized the protesters, accusing them of being criminals. But yet, he was still elected president, the governor of Lagos State, who some people hold responsible was also re-elected governor. Is this what you expected, or did you think Nigerians would punish the APC at the polls, both at the presidential and the state level? Nigerians did punish the APC, and neither Tinubu nor Sonwulu were elected, in my, in my view, and in the view of millions of Nigerians that trooped out to cast their votes. INEC and the APC connived to steal the election, and I mean, the matter is still in court. We wait to see how the Supreme Court will go. But the facts speak for themselves. They did not win the election because Nigerians deemed it fit to punish the APC. I mean, the, I mean, even with this, even with all the rigging and the stolen election, the the results that INEC even posted, despite they stole the election, and then I mean, I'm talking about the presidential election and declared Tinubu as president. He won 36% of the vote. So 64% of Nigerians, of the few Nigerians that could manage to cast their votes, condemned the APC and said, no, you are not fit as a party to remain in office. So we're still hoping that the Supreme Court does right by Nigerians and overturns this travesty. And, and so, I mean... I fully believe that Nigerians, you know, did the right thing, but uh, they've been is is delayed, and hopefully will not be denied. And I think that's the same way I feel about, you know, the whole issue of justice and this whole NSAS matter. It doesn't matter if it's ten years or twenty years. There will come a time where people will be held held accountable. I mean, we'll keep our memories long. The good thing is that it's mostly the young folks who. Who, who felt the brunt, and they'll still be around in 20 years' time, 30 years' time, whatever, how long it takes, you know, we'll make sure that they, there comes a time when people answer for, for what they've done. Thank you, but one of the allegations, one of the claims that have been made by 
Uh, pardon me, I think I'm, I'm getting a cold. One of the allegations that have been made by Nigerian political commentators is the fact that Nigeria never seems to learn. We have a history of massacres right from the 1966 pogroms to date. And they say that Nigeria is going to <laughs> collapse under the weight of injustice. Do you think, it is it true that we never seem to learn from these sort of crises or uh, massacres? It is true, Michael. It is true. And and you know what, what they say about, I mean, if you if you don't, if just, I keep using the word justice, but if the right thing is not, so let's put it this way. Let I, I said before lessons were not learned, but to be prop to be really nuanced, every time something happens, there is a lesson that is learned. And the lessons that have been learned have just been of the negative kind. Because these things have been happening without consequences, of course they will continue to happen. The reason why Buhari fell and his cohorts felt brave, brazen enough to do that in October 2020 was because they had done the Shiite massacre, right? And like you said, there were other incidents that had gone on. Even before their own government, there was there was the previous government under Jonathan that also had scuffles with, with Shiites and things like that. So the Nigerian government in its entirety over the over the 63-year period has done these things and there have been no consequences. Which is why Nigerians in this 2023 election cycle said, look, we are done with the old guard. We're done with people who have no respect for rule of law. We're done with people who have no respect for the sanctity of life. We want to change the cadre of people who lead us and have people who have empathy, people who see their fellow Nigerians as human beings and not, not, um, not just people in their way that they can mow down whenever they feel like. And so that's that's where the turnaround needs to come from. We need to change our leadership cadre. We need to have a different mindset for people who rule the country and until that happens you will continue to see this impunity because i can bet you that if if there is a major protest that goes on tinubu would also roll out the tanks and try to stamp his power because he's of that era that's who they are so we need a, a big shift away from these folks so that we can begin to truly entrench democratic ideals. And, you know, and I know we're going to talk about, you know, the Lagos State demolitions, but it's also emblematic of this thing that we're talking about, of governments who still think as though they are in the military era, where they give edicts and they just go out and, you know, enforce, um, you know, so we 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 truly need a, a turnaround. We need a change. And until that happens, we continue to see these kinds of things that we're talking about. And one of the officers who was blamed for the killings is a, at the time, Brigadier General Ahmed Taiwo. 
at the time he was blamed for being the commanding officer and leading his troops to commit this these atrocities and then he appeared before the Lagos State Judicial Panel first of all denying that anybody was killed but also claiming that if the army opened fire it's because the army was attacked by hoodlums now a number of newspapers have reported that he happens to be the son of the former or the late Colonel Ibrahim Taiwo, who alongside Murtala Mohammed was responsible for the Asaba massacre in 1966 or during the Nigerian Civil War when they murdered innocent men, women and children in Asaba. So is, isn't it odd or don't you think it's, it's, it's rather strange that decades after the, the son has committed the same atrocity that the father did, Phoenix? <laughs> well, it's almost too easy to say apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. So, I mean, it is, It is. Uh, some people will say it's not odd. And again, it goes back to that question of consequences and what happened to his father, Ibrahim Taiwo. You know, he, I mean, in some circles, they saw him as a hero. He continued his career trajectory and nothing happened. And now we see the, the son continuing his own career trajectory. This same Brigadier General Ahmed Taiwo has now become Major General Ahmed Taiwo, promoted and ostensibly rewarded. So, you know, Nigeria is just a... There's too much injustice. I mean, I remember you saying at the beginning that we are we are, we are I, I can't remember how you put it, but it was something about we're on where we're, we're, we're sitting on injustice and at some point, you know, you it's going to all implode. It's going to get to a level that it becomes too much. And you're already seeing that because you're seeing different areas where people are starting to push back, you know, People are challenging, people are... And then you see the socioeconomic conditions are exacerbating that, the frustrations, the hunger, the annoyance under the weight of injustice, you know? You just hope that there's that turnaround and a different type of leadership that can lead people out of this. So this guy is, is just another, you know, evidence of, you know... People do stuff, and rather than, you know, be reprimanded, they are elevated. And then on the international front, at the time of the massacres, the U.S. and a few other countries issued strong statements criticizing President Buhari's government. And Nigerians were excited, expecting that firm action would be taken, taken to bring the perpetrators to justice, but there's now been disappointed ex disappointment expressed by a number of people that the U.S. has abandoned Nigeria and is now focused on doing business with Bonatinibu and therefore human rights no longer matter. Is there is there merit to their to their claims, Phoenix? I think sometimes people ask for too much from outsiders. I mean, the U.S. has no business saying they won't do business with Nigeria. And it just so happens that Bola Tinubu represents Nigeria today. I mean, 
we saw the hue and cry over Niger. Guess what? The U.S. is now saying they're they're going to do business with the Nigerian coup um, plotters who took over the government. Sovereign state to sovereign state, there will be. I mean, there will be lines that should not be crossed. But that's not the issue here. We've had an election. We have our, had our election umpire declare a president. The people who lost have gone to court. The U.S. Will, will wait and see what happens through our own internal process and where they can help legitimately, they will do that. But they cannot cease doing business with Nigeria simply because they don't like who's in the office and we don't even know that they don't like him. So I, I think we need to see through to the end what happens with the Supreme Court and then we take it from there. And then I suppose the final question on this topic is then the the victims. Obviously, a lot of people were, were murdered. But some people were maimed. And the people who were murdered left behind families. And this is something I've always... Sometimes my, my mind wanders, and I've always wondered, because over the years, as I said, since 1966, there have been so many people whose parents, siblings, wives, husbands have been murdered by the Nigerian state. And I've often wondered, how do these people function for the rest of their lives? Where are they? What are they doing? And how, how are they responding to day-to-day -to -day issues? So... I suppose that's the question I'm asking, Phoenix. How, how are the, 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 the families left behind or those who are being maimed, how are they coping? And are, and are we not terrified that we're surrounded by people who have suffered injustice? Is, is, is nobody in government worried that everybody around them seems to be a victim of injustice? Does it not worry them? You know, that's, that's the thing about Nigeria. Um... Michael, I mean, when you say are people in government not worried? I mean, we 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 live in a country. We, I mean, we have a country where eighty over eighty percent of the people are poor. <laughs> you know, and people think because they've constructed this their 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 islands of of luxury, which are surrounded by debilitating poverty. And they feel they're okay because they have, you know, uh, mobile policemen following them in and out. There, you know, it's the same thing as as you say. I mean, there's so much pain and injustice around. These people are trying to make sense of their lives. What's worse is that for a lot of them, who, who whose uh, family members died that did not come back home, for a lot of them, they don't even have the bodies of their family members to bury and have some sense of closure. Some of them don't even know that their family members went to Lekki and were killed at Lekki that night. They're, 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 you know, they're just people who are looking for family members who left home October 2020 did not come back home. So you can just imagine going, I mean, people, you know, parents, siblings you know friends you know loved ones who've lost people and there's no closure there's just pain there's just anger and and the nigerian state thinks that they can just you know overlook and just move on 
you know, it, it, it can only go on for so long. I, I don't know what else to say about it, but my heart goes out to them. I continue to wish, you know, send my prayers and thoughts to families of, of people who were maimed or lost and just hope that they can find some peace and respite. It's three years on, but the pain is still fresh. And all we can do is just to hope and pray that at some point, justice will be served. Thank you, Phoenix. I, I second that. So our prayer is that justice is done someday and Nigeria can achieve healing because it's, uh, it's not sustainable carrying on like this. But on to the next topic, which is Bola Tinibu again and the United States. It was reported in the news that Bolatinibu's lawyers had approached the courts in the U.S. requesting that the FBI halt its upcoming release of the documents relating to his time in the U.S. And it's also been reported that lawyers representing Atiku have also approached the courts asking for the FBI to expedite their publication of any records they have because of the Supreme Court's uh, hearings that are coming up. So, Phoenix, can you talk us through what, what the issue is? What is this FBI matter again? I thought after the certificate or the non-certificate, I thought we were done with the US. So how how, how has the FBI gotten involved? <laughs> I think that, I mean, the, the Tinubu story has a number of... Uh, um uh different um angles of course there has been if we remember originally uh, the journalist david Undey has been on this matter for a couple of years investigating releasing his reports and and apparently he had been working with um alan greenspan of plainsight so they already were on that track where they were pursuing all things Tinubu, you know, had, you know, gone after CSU, had then decided to go file a freedom of information um, request to law enforcement agencies and the IRS in the U.S. to try to see what they could find through that avenue on Tinubu. Um and when when they were initial, which which was ongoing, and then we had uh, Atiku who then tried to get documents from CSU, got got pushed back, and then went to court. So that the number of tracks that this has been going on. So the Atiku thing was what led to the courts, and then the compelling of uh, Chicago State University to release the documents, the deposition, and that's that's what um, people were dealing with while waiting for the outcome of the issue around the um, the issue that um, Greenspan and Hundeni were were pursuing. Because what had happened was that when, once the agencies did not respond, they had then filed a, a lawsuit. And then the agencies had, I mean, particularly the FBI had then said, oh, yeah, we'll release uh, documents of about 2,500 pages or 2,500 documents. I never can tell which one is which. 
Um, and then other agencies said they will release documents that that concern Chinubu as well. So what what was said was that those documents will be released in October. And so the expectation is that they would have been released by now or no later than end of the month. From what I understand, um, recently, Tinubu's lawyers in the US tried to or filed a case to halt that um, uh, disclosure from happening. Um, and so that while that was going on, we then heard that um, Alan Greenspan had filed a, a new suit to compel the FBI to do it immediately rather than, you know, in October, which meant, I mean, they would have another, what, nine days to do it. So that that case, by that, that suit by Greenspan is to be heard, I believe, on Monday. And uh, we'll see where that goes and see if the court does indeed compel the FBI to release immediately. All because, I mean, they're trying to get ahead of the fact that the Supreme Court announced that they will begin sitting on on the matter before them, the appeal by uh, Peter Obi and, and Atiku, the appeals by Peter Obi and Atiku because they're separate, um, from the same Monday, from 23rd of October. So um, it looks like a race against time to get this stuff out. Thank you, Phoenix. So there's, there's two parts. So the, the, the first issue is, are we, is there, is there anything that we're expecting these documents to reveal? Are there anything explosive? So the first part is, there, is there anything explosive that you think will be published? And secondly, do you think the US government would even agree to publish such or would they redact them, even if there's any anything to be disclosed? Well, I, I, at this point, I can't tell. I mean, you, you, what we know for certain is we've seen documents that, that, um, show the drug linked asset forfeiture that happened to Tinubu, right? So there was clearly some brush with the, with law enforcement. I mean, so, so there is enough of a story around that. And there might be something more that may bring out some light on that. So that may be one of the areas. But then there is also the, the 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 fact that you know they've been making this point around identity theft and things like that. All of the inconsistencies in his records, all of those kinds of things, those could also pop up in an FBI you know record or something. So. You know, some some people might call it a fishing exercise, but there's already enough. Um, um, how would I put it? There's not already enough of a starting point to warrant that fishing exercise, to warrant going after more. So I don't know for certain that they're going to learn anything new or anything that is going to be groundbreaking and you know really make the case you know even more concrete than it is today. But, I mean, we wait to see what comes out. The other thing for me is, originally, and I don't know how true this is, originally the, the story was about, oh, there are lots of documents and they're narrowing it down to 2,500. Now, let's be, let's be mindful of the fact that the FBI will be releasing documents on somebody who is the president of a country. And 
typically we know that when they release some of these documents, there's a lot of there might be some things redacted that may even make the documents very hard to 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 read. So we really don't know where the FBI or whatever other law enforcement agency will be coming from on this matter. But it seems to have Tinubu bothered enough to try to stop it. And you know, whenever that happens, you know, people then get, oh, there must be something there for him to be trying to stop it. So that's where, <laughs> where all the drama is in my to my mind, is to see what eventually comes out. And I mean, in the in the matter of trying to get this guy out of office, that it's not it doesn't come out with a whimper, you know, at the end of the day. Thank you, Phoenix. Because putting myself in the if I put myself in the shoes of the US, I can imagine if Bolatinubu was going to be useful to them as president, then obviously you would redact all the incriminating documents, isn't it? It's of only course. if he's of, of no use to you that you, you leak them. And then of course. Then that takes the second point, which is if a foreign government has that much access to information over you, doesn't that put us in the realms of blackmail but that's the that's the whole point i mean if we were a proper functioning democracy even even the fact that i mean you know all of what has come out and the potential stuff that may come out are grounds for impeachment it's i mean even the, even the the idea that there's enough stuff on you out there that you are so desperate to cover up. And we've been talking about it, that he has, there's too much skeletons in the cupboard that it puts the nation at risk to have somebody at, in that position of power whose information might be in other people's hands to be able to leverage him to do things that may be inimical to the Nigerian interest. You know, it, it is, I mean, it is fundamental that people who who have, I mean, this guy almost, I mean, think about the power that the Nigerian president has. He almost took us to war, right? He almost, you know, deployed troops to go to Niger to restore, ostensibly to restore democracy. He can order troops to go out and, you know, just like Gwari sent people to to Lekki to, to go and, you know, um, mow down people. So he can he's the commander in chief. And so how can you trust his motivations or his decision making when he has so much baggage and when clearly there because if the FBI has those details, who's to say other um, security agencies in the world don't have them? And those that may be willing to, I mean, the Chinese will probably have their own compromise on the guy. The Russians may have their own. The Indians, who, who knows? So, you know, who knows who has stuff on him and may be able to leverage him today? So it's it is a a a problem for Nigeria if indeed there, there's stuff out there that uh, that compromises him heavily. And this takes me on to the next question, which is 
all these issues, assuming information is revealed that is useful, all these issues will be tabled before the Supreme Court. But a number of legal commentators are saying it's unlikely or they don't expect the Supreme Court to admit any of this, any revelations that are uh, found from either the FBI or even what has been found from, from the deposition of the Chicago State University. They are saying they don't expect the Supreme Court to admit any of them as, as new evidence. Does that not, without prejudicing whether or not, the, or, or, or without uh, knowing how the Supreme Court is going to rule anyway, because it's going to be in the future, but the fact that senior lawyers are saying this, Phoenix, does this not, does it does it bother you? It bothers me. I mean, not because they're saying it, but because as I've said, I also have the same concerns. I've always said that I feel like it's 50-50, right? I feel like it's 50-50. And so, um, and so, yes, I mean, it, it does bother me. But the, the, I still want to hold out on on the hope that the Supreme Court will want to make sure that they leave no... Because this... This, this has attracted so much attention and it's such a topical issue that I think they, they will do themselves a disservice. And of course, I mean, they will do 200 million Nigerians a disservice if they do not attempt to listen to every point of law in this case, if they do not accept to allow every issue to be addressed to the fullest extent. I think they, I mean, how do you come out of it using technicality? Because there is the, there's the I mean, the, the two people who are appealing have already made their case saying, look, we are challenging the um, qualification of this guy to run on the basis of his education on the basis of his documentation on the basis of you get so they've already made that case that we do not think this guy is qualified to be president what you are now saying is that the evidence that they can use to prove that case was not presented on time which you know they had to go get via court proceedings you will not now let them bring it in because it is late, it makes no. It makes it's a different thing if they had not challenged his qualification at all, and then we're trying to bring it in now. But they've already established that. Look, we do not believe that this guy is qualified on this grounds, blah blah blah. And so they've opened the topic. The only issue is that the evidence that they had was not ready in time. So I think I believe very strongly that the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court does have the discretion to do that. And they have exercised that discretion in the past. So it's not as if you are asking them to do something that is new or unheard of. They have. And I keep saying this thing about overwhelming national interest. That's how they must see matters that concern the, pre the, the, pres the election to the presidency. They must see it as something that they must weigh in and ensure that beyond reasonable doubt, they have been able to serve justice. And that's why, for me, I am saying that they must, they, they, they should exercise that power, that discretion, in the right way, in pursuit of justice. 
not try to default to some technicality that allows them to sneak away and give a predetermined judgment. So again, one can only say what I believe they should do. My 50-50 comes from the fact that they will still end up doing what they want to do and think they can live with and get away with. So we wait to see what, what they decide. And there's the other other point because a journalist made an interesting point on social media, and he said he said this. He said, "Look, we we appear to be dancing around technicalities because what Tinubu's supporters are saying, well, even if there's been a finding of any kind of crime, it was done over ten years ago, and the constitution imposes a, a, a ten year uh, limitation." after which those things cannot be held against you. And, and the journalist said, Let, let's pause for, for a few minutes. Would you hire someone to manage your bank account if you knew that 10 years ago the person had been convicted or found to have been engaging in drug money laundering or the person's identity is unknown? So the question, I think, a number of people seem to retweet and agree with him. So... I suppose the question for the Supreme Court is, do they themselves not want to fully get to the bottom of the issues? Because when you go to court in the US or in the UK, you see the judges asking probing questions because they too seem to want to know the answers to many of these things. But do you get the impression that the Supreme Court in Nigeria wants to know or that ordinary Nigerians want to know what is happening, Phoenix? I mean, ordinary Nigerians definitely want to know. I mean, it remain, the Supreme Court needs to prove to us that they also want to know. Um, I think it. I mean, it is clear. It is clear that every Nigerian wants to, wants to know, which is which is why I mean, we're talking the other time about last week about uh, um, Peter Obi's press conference, and I was making the point around look, what he was asking for was for Tinubu to speak to Nigerians and he should. You seek to rule these people, you and it is a democracy, you should make sure that they I mean the question they are asking, you're answering them. So yes, Nigerians want to know. What we want to see is the justices of the Supreme Court should who have the power to exercise that curiosity to its fullest extent should should therefore take that forward on behalf of Nigerians. That's what we're asking for. That they should, in the interest of justice, Nigerians are saying that if this guy is going to be responsible for our lives for the next four years, let us make sure that he is fit to be in the office and that he is not... I mean, that all these allegations of... Um, impropriety against them are fully addressed. The Supreme Court owes Nigerians that to 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 make sure they get to the bottom of that. So they should exercise the same curiosity um, and make sure that those questions are answered. Yes, but we did not see much of that. Or did you see much of that from the Court of Appeal? They, no, did they no, give you the impression that they wanted to know? No, we didn't see it. And we knew that they were working to a script. I, I think a lot of people went into PEPT knowing fully well that this was just a 
I, th I mean, it was clear, and I think I must have said it, that I would have been extremely shocked if they had done anything other than what they did. Of course, they went they went over and beyond the brief that they were given by trying to totally rubbish everything that was put in front of them and then even trying to show some indignation, almost like they were trying to set it up for the Supreme Court to take it from there. But we always knew that the real battle was going to be in the Supreme Court. The Perth was a joke. It was an absolute joke. And I think they knew that they they it was not going to end with them. And so they were they were not they were not willing to um write their names in, in gold. I mean, again, I think one thing I want to make clear to our listeners is look, it's not about I mean the the process is equally as important as the judgment. If their judgment had been based on law fa and facts and had gone through the legal process not trying not not authorizing a subpoena and then turning around and saying oh you did not put these witnesses blah 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 so we're wiping out 10 of your 12 or whatever witnesses it was you're like <laughs> what are you doing i mean so what was the point of sitting through all of that testimony and then all of a sudden telling us that that testimony no, no, does not count. So they, they, there's, there was zero sense in what they were doing. And so, I mean, for me, PEPT was not, is not something to even discuss. The real issue is going to be at the Supreme Court, where we know that's the final um, place for justice in the country, and where they will be, they will be, I mean, the points of this case... Supreme Court judgments are law. So they will practically be creating new law. And that's what they're going to be forced to do. Because in instances where they're going to be asked questions, you know, that clearly are a deviation from things that they've done in the past, from positions that they've done held in the past. We've talked about the 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 civil the um, drug link asset forfeiture. We have a previous ruling from the Supreme Court with this Chief Justice of Nigeria being a part of that. So we're waiting for him now to now turn around and say something else. They are, they are, so there are decided issues that, that exist. There's going to be you turning our legal framework totally on its head if you decide on certain parts of this whole appeal you know, to do something different. When you say that INEC has the right to change its own rules in the middle of the game. You need to explain to us who gave INEC that right. The, 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 the Electoral Act gives INEC, you know, the power to run the elections and makes its own procedures the same as law. So the procedures derive from the Act. So when you've done, when you've ruled out your procedures, and you've told everybody this is how things are going to happen, and you don't then communicate to everybody that, oh, something has led us to change our procedures. We go to the polls, we vote, and then you come back later and tell us that INEC has the right to change in the middle of the game, after we've started casting our votes, the way that the process was supposed to run, and you're going to, and you're going to stamp that. What, basically, what you're saying is that the INEC chairman can do and undo. Is that the spirit of the law? Is that what the constitution allows and gives one, that one person that much power to determine 
elections in Nigeria. So those are the kind of things that we need. <laughs> That's why those are the kind of arguments that need to go. And it's the Supreme Court that those kind of things should happen. And so we wait to see how they will address that. Well, thank you, Phoenix. But on to our next topic. Yeah, because uh, we will wait to see what the Supreme Court says, and uh, hopefully we'll discuss that uh, when the when they deliver their ruling. On to the final topic, which is demolitions in Lagos. Last week, Nigerians woke up to videos of residents of certain parts of Lekki, the residential area in Lagos, wailing, weeping, crying. They alleged that their homes had been demolished by the Lagos state government. Lagos state government on its own part says those homes were built illegally and it generated a lot of debate in the media with some people claiming that, well, they got permits from the Lagos state government to build their houses. Lagos state government says, well, you may have gotten those permits, but you paid bribes. So, Phoenix, what what, what is happening? What What is triggering the, the, this round of home destruction in Lagos State? Well, I mean, first of all, Lagos State is hinging its position on um, on protecting the environment. We all know that flooding in Lagos is a major issue, which the Lagos State government has failed to deal with for many years. They are now saying that, oh, the canals that have been built, that people have encroached on them, and so that's why they are taking this action. Now, my reaction to that is this. Not because they say they gave notice, and I also heard one Negro State official who said they gave notice, but the people did not know when it was going to happen. I heard people whose homes had been pulled down saying they were given maybe seven days or things like that. Now, in my opinion, there needs to be a proper process for you to destroy an, somebody's asset. I would, ex, I would expect that the Lagos State government will notify the people and tell them so-so-and-so encroaches on whatever and have a discussion with the people on, okay, you are encroaching on whatever. This is this needs to be remedied. You know, we're giving you a certain amount of reasonable notice. If those people do not respond to the notice or not do anything, you expect that the Lagos State Government will go to court. I'm sure all of that did not happen in seven days if the people whose homes have been pulled down are to be believed. So as far as I'm concerned, if that has not happened, if the pulling down of the homes are not based on a court order, and, and bear in mind, Lagos State governments cannot simply go to court and purchase an order to demolish somebody's property. You have to go to court and then you know report the case. There needs to be representation of the the other side to come and you know tell their case and then the court will then may then you know so i i, I mean speaking as an outsider looking in i'm asking 
it did not look to me that that proper process has been followed. And even if a process has been followed, government is a continuum. And we know that this current government has just been re-elected, so they've been around for four years. So how is it that they did not realize that this prop? at what point did they realize that these properties were illegal? Is it at the point where people went to go and get CFO, or is it at the point where somebody would have gotten a government's, governor's consent, paid taxes, paid, paid significant amount of money? Is it at the point where every year people will probably have been paying land use charge into the Lagos state coffers? So at what point did they realize that oh, all of a sudden this property... So all of, all of that interaction with the state, paying their taxes, paying their dues, did not trigger that. And so all of that... I mean, the fundamental thing for me is, is this, that there are two ways I've, I've looked at it and I've said, number one, destruction of, of assets, of wealth, Who compensates the people? Because we are told that developers, you know, went to um, developers, I mean, built estates and then sold it to Lagosians, taxpaying Lagosians. And so you render all of these people homeless. Who really should be the culprit? And how do you make sure that you resettle your own citizens who are taxpaying citizens? These are, you know, you know, these are very expensive homes, at least the ones I saw in the videos in Lekki. So obviously, this would be high, high taxpayers, not to say that people should be treated differently. But surely, there must have been conversations that would have made sure that you protect and not destroy, you know, even if, you know, even if you're going to get to that point, how do you make sure that the, that the, that the value destruction that we've now seen does not happen to that degree. It's, it, just, it, it just came across to me as a government that has, you know, we, 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 we operate in a, in a framework where governments simply, they act as though the people are beholden to them rather than the other way around. Process that I mapped going to court and doing all that will only happen in a situation where you have a proper democracy and people are held accountable. But if you are going to continue stealing elections and, you know, maiming people, using togs, then you will get into government and do this kind of thing. This is not to condone people who are building illegally, who have built on, yes, that, that is wrong. But you need to hold yourself as government accountable first for allowing it to happen, for you know neglecting it for so long, and then waking up and not even going after the people who have committed the offense, the developers, but rendering your own. I mean, the people who. I mean, these are negotiations that you have all of a sudden. <laughs> it's incredible. No, thank you, Phoenix, uh, because. A number of lawyers on Twitter, on the one hand, said we're blaming the buyers. They said it's their fault. That is not enough to buy a property from a property developer. That you also have to go behind the sale to investigate if 
the developer itself had had gotten the right permits. Yeah, but investigate, investigate where? Where will you investigate? You go well, to the same government, or is it not the government that where you go to go and do search with? Because I don't that, understand where, what, where would they investigate? That's what I mean. I don't understand. Well, that's the point some other people made, which was that ordinarily in in the UK or US, any normal country, when you see an estate being, being built by a developer, that should give you the peace of mind that these are reputable people who have followed, who have done things by the book. No, but Michael, and, that's not even. I'm, I'm not even. I'm not even going to give. I mean, Nigerian developers benefit of the doubt. I would expect that somebody who is willing to pay upwards of 50 million, 70 million naira for a house will go and do a search. We'll get documentation. I mean, it's surely, I mean, I, I mean, I can't imagine that somebody will spend that much and will not go to Lagos state government. Because don't forget, it, in Nigeria, because of the Land Use Act, all land is vested in the governor of the state. So you need consent from the governor of the state for a transfer of title to happen for you. When you go to apply for a, for a certificate of occupancy, part of the steps is that the, the state officials must come to inspect the property and sign off on it before the governor signs. So, so all, if all of that documentation exists, and then, you know, the developer has that title and then transfers title individually to the people who buys the property. They then have to go back to the state to go and, you know, get the consent of the governor for the title they've gotten for their own piece of property. So in all of that process, if that process exists, how can, how can anyone then come back and say, um, you know, it's not just enough for you to trust a developer. There is a process that you follow. And for that amount of money, I'm saying that I'm, I would be surprised if anybody was stupid enough not to follow that process. Not in Lagos, especially because we know that it's not the first time that Lagos state government has been pulling down property. Therefore, the question then becomes, how does an ordinary buyer even let's set it, setting aside even large investors, an ordinary bar like myself, obviously Phoenix, you're you're the wealthy one. Yeah, the wealthy right. man like you <laughs> decides you want to buy a house in in Nigeria. What 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 then do you do? Because you what you from what you're telling me, you don't buy a house. What else can you do, Michael? You just choose not to buy a house in Lagos, <laughs> or you only buy from Lagos State Government. Carry on. <laughs> but, the, but I suppose the, the point is they're saying, well, if you can get a permit from the Lagos State Government, that's as as solid as buying it directly from Lagos State Government. So the implication is, it means even a property you bought from the Lagos State Government, they could turn around in a few months or years and claim exactly. you got it illegally. Exactly. If another party comes into power, they will tell you. You bribe somebody. Can you imagine? A government is coming out and telling us that, I mean, they, their own people were bribed. That's why people were able to... It's incredible. And and that's what one of the leading lawyers, he's actually been on our podcast, uh, Tex, he made this point that it's it's the same government. It's not even a... It's the same APC government. It's, it is. It is. Especially for Lagos. I mean, APC, the same people have been in power 
since since 1999 for 24 years, which is the point I was making. That government is a continuum. It's the same party that has been in power. It's the same folks that have been around. How is it that they did not realize that they were giving title to people who were building in wrong places? And, and they've been collecting around. taxes. And exactly. And they've been collecting taxes. They've been, they've been, they've been, you know, claiming IGR. And then all of a sudden, they now decide that, I mean, people should go and find somewhere else to to live. It's because they believe they will get away with it. Because this is, this is. I mean, there's there's no sane country under rule of law where this kind of thing should happen. I'm not saying houses cannot be pulled down. I'm saying you follow the process and prove conclusively that these people did something wrong. But where they've followed the process, gotten the title, however means they got it, go clean your house. You need to find a way to compensate them or and resettle them somewhere else. Well, then, let's bring you to the, the next question, which is the second to the last, is then for larger investors how how do you persuade a large investor like maybe taylor wimpy or the other developers who build large estates in the in the uk how do you how do you convince them to invest in a development in nigeria if all of a sudden things could just be pulled under their feet well michael that's why isn't that why our naira is is crashing as badly isn't that why we pay such a premium on interest rates it's because people pricing this kind of craziness into the investments that they come here to to do. Nobody wants to bring money here and then lose it. So when they when they, when it's time for them to come and invest in Nigeria, they they the, the the cost of capital that they put to it has that kind of a, has that premium for your craziness, has that premium for the for the recklessness for the lack of a rule of law because they don't know if they'll be able to get all their money out. So you know what, I need to make sure. And so that's why you see all these properties at exorbitant prices. People don't know if the property will come and be pulled down. You know, some cynical folks have told me, oh, they're saying all these things. Maybe it's because they want to, they want somebody needs to reapportion land, you know. So they are going to clear some estates and next thing you'll just see, they'll, they'll do one small setback and they'll reissue it to somebody else. You know, so you're right. I mean, that's why Nigeria is is a difficult investment terrain, and and it's all these things that people see and say, no, this is not the place where, or if I'm going to come here, I better make sure I extract the maximum out of out of what I'm going to bring here. Thank you, Felix. But our final question is. There seems to be a theme that's run through all the issues we've discussed today, which is the underlying injustice or the the absence of justice in Nigerian society. So the first topic is about the Leki massacre. The second is the court cases involving uh, Bola Ahmed and thirdly, the demolition of homes belonging to people who have worked hard to to build them. And so, what are your what are your final thoughts? Can we ever get to the point where justice is justice and fairness are taken seriously by the Nigerian states in, in your view. Do you think we can ever get there? You know, it's, it's a great point to close on. I think for me, a number of things. 
what is clearly showing is our transition to democracy has not happened. We've 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 transitioned into elections, and even those have are being bastardized and debased. But we've not fully landed democracy, and so we don't we don't have a political class that is worthy of the name that we can trust. You know, the the people in the executive branch, the the their lawlessness and misbehavior, the people who are supposed to be checking them in legislative, they're they're equally as worse, if if not they're equally as bad, if not even worse. Which means, ideally, you would hope that it's the judiciary by virtue of, and maybe that's where you need activist judges who are simply holding these guys accountable until things turn around. That That's where people want to put their eyes on. But then you find that there's even a problem there as well, as we saw with the, with, with the presidential election petition tribunal. And so for me, it's almost like we need a referendum on the legal profession in general from, from even the MBA and calling out all lawyers and saying, this profession has always, and I know you're a lawyer, Michael, so I want you to hurt. <laughs> this profession has always been, <laughs> has always been lauded as, you know, as, you know, the, if, if you're talking about intellectualism, that's, that's really it, you know, about philosophers, about law, about, you know, charting the course for, for people. And now we find that we can't even trust those who get elevated to the bench anymore. And, and it's almost like you then need lawyers to save their own profession, to save the temple of justice. Because if we're going to have justice, that's, that's now where it has to be. It has to be that these folks do the job properly. And that's where I am at now. I'm like, look, every lawyer that I see, I'm telling them, look, your profession has gone to the dogs. I mean, surely, I mean, last time we were talking, remember, we were talking about the lack of erudition, the lack of, you know, from the tribunal and how they were speaking and how they were delivering. That's even the least of our worries. It's just the fact that there's no justice in this land and we have people on the bench who are not doing anything to to course correct, and they must be called out. And this entire and if that requires the entire legal profession, because there is a subset of the legal profession, right? You must be a lawyer to become a judge to become a justice. Then we must be calling out the legal profession and holding the MBA accountable and saying, "Look, guys, try and clean house, try and do something, try and agitate, try and make sure." Look at the president of the MBA and all the controversies around him. The legal profession has to hold itself accountable. They need to make sure that they clean house, get the best of them to the top, and they make sure that they advocate with these judges and tell them, look, look at the situation of this country. You guys have it in your hand to make sure that this country turns around. Do you want your name to be in gold or do you want it to be in mud? Choose one. Well, thank you, Phoenix, but our time is up. So first of all, I must thank our listeners for always being helpful and giving us useful feedback. So thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting. And once again, we remember the victims of the Le Lecky massacre, which took, part, which took place in October 2020. 
And but until same time next week, I wish everyone a fantastic seven days. Thanks, Michael, and thanks everyone. Um, may the souls of the, the departed ones continue to rest in peace, and to their families, our hearts go out to you, and uh, wish you the very best. Bye, everyone.